We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Something about this one just feels different. Samantha? I'm... I know who you are. I've been through this. A lot. This is your life now, which means that whoever this is is gonna keep coming for you. You ready? For this? Never. No, stop! Wait, wait, wait! There's certain rules to surviving. The attacks were all on people related to the original killers. Whatever his link is to our past, it's pulled us all back here. And I won't sleep until he's in the ground. For this bonus episode, we dive once again into the Scream franchise for the fifth installment installment that isn't called Scream 5, but just Scream 2022. So we're going to call it Scream 5, not Scream 2022 or just Scream, just to make things a little easier. It is directed by Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillett, who are in our world famous for the film Ready or Not from 2019, a very 
very well done horror comedy. Uh, it stars now Letterboxd. You have it in the wrong order, but I will read it in the order that you have it. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox and David Arquette, the uh, mainstays in this franchise are back. The people that have been in this franchise since the beginning, uh, they are in it, but as supporting characters to Melissa Barrera, Jenny Ortega, Jack Quaid, Mikey Madison, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Dylan Minette, Mason Gooding. And I think that is the last of characters I have to name. I, I think I don't think I'm missing any important supporting characters from this new cast. I guess Kyle Gallner is vaguely famous. Kyle Gallner. Okay. We'll, we'll say him. Kyle Gallner is, Oh, do we, do we mention, do we, do we mention Marley Shelton and Skeet Ulrich at this point? I, I was going to say no, because Skeet Ulrich is a low key spoiler, but we'll just say it now. Skeet Ulrich is in this movie. Uh, he is returned to the franchise that he was killed off in in the first scream. Uh, the story, according to Letterboxd, is as follows. It's always someone you know. 25 years after a streak of brutal murder shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, a new killer has donned the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. Oz, I ask you. Oh, as always, what were your thoughts walking out of Scream after you saw it? My thoughts were like sunshine and flowers. I thought this was <laughs> so much fun. I was I was delighted for whatever this is, two hours. Mm -hmm. it, it moves. It's funny. It, the the commentary is in a way, uh, I don't know, it's kind of scratching my back because it's saying a lot of the things I feel about shitty fan culture. And it delighted me to see it just thrown up there so heavy handedly on the screen. I, I really, I really thought it worked. I, I honestly, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it, it is, I, I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's better than the original at this point, let alone is it the best sequel? It's easily the best sequel of the scream movies. And I, I just, I'm, I'm so all in on it. It's aged. I saw it a, a couple of days ago. It's aged wonderfully in my mind. I cannot wait to see it again. I thought this was great. So I will echo a lot of what you're about to say. Might push back a little bit, although you didn't definitively say it's better than the first one. It's not uh, more important. Like it's just, it, it, well, can't, yeah. it, it can't win because the first one created this mold or at least iterated this mold in a special way. And this is kind of going back and playing off of that. It, it's kind of in the same way that, you know, we want to say that, I don't know, The Last Jedi is better than the original uh, Star Wars, perhaps. But, uh, you know, you can't really say that because there is no Last Jedi unless it can interact with the original Star Wars. It's kind of the same element here that it, it just it doesn't exist in a world without the the original forerunner. So I I, I don't think I, it's certainly not more important. I, I will say I, if I'm going to watch one of these things, you know, next Halloween or something like that, I'm putting on Scream 5 before I'm putting on Scream 1. So you're stepping on one of my notes here, which is good because it means we have some crossover. Um, the Ryan Johnson of it all. And there is a, a note in the movie, a detail a in which Ryan Johnson apparently was the director of Stab 8. And apparently the fans of the Stab franchise, just to refresh you what Stab is, the running gag in the sequels of Scream is that there is a franchise, a horror movie franchise called Stab, and they're up to their eighth installment. And it's literally the first Scream movie 
played out over a bunch of sequels. It's the exact same thing happens, and it's an adaptation of the book written by Courtney Cox character, Gail Weathers. Um, so what happens in Scream 5 is Ryan Johnson, the director of The Last Jedi, made a controversial sequel that offended a lot of the fans of the Stab franchise. Sound familiar? And I got to say, that detail is so up there for me as to why I love this movie so much. Because I've talked to you about why when I tried to get engaged and join the Star Wars culture and fandom, because I, I showed up late. I showed up in 2016 or 2015, whenever Force Awakens came out. And was like, listen, I waited forever to get get on board. I saw the prequels first, which was the not the order I was supposed to do it because I was told this is one, two and three. And I was like, all right, so I'll just watch one, two and three and then watch four, five, six in order. Right. Wrong. Don't do that. Show your kids the original trilogy. OK, um, having said that, I did that as far as the order for Star Wars. And I showed up in 2015 in love with The Force Awakens, seeing everybody enjoying the freshness that was brought back to the franchise and like, OK, I'm in. Let, let, let's go. I'm, I'm in for Rogue One. I'm in for, for Star Wars going forward. Then The Last Jedi came out and I had some like lukewarm thoughts either direction about how great it was, how bad it was, some of the quibbles, some of the things I loved that it did better than other ones. But I didn't have like this vitriol that a lot of the hardcore Star Wars fans had in either direction. And it's to the point where I tapped out and said, all right, this is yours. I, I clearly don't have this. And the toxicity that Ryan Johnson was met with is the worst kind of fanboyism that this movie is clearly I'll say it attacking in, in its overall themes. And what I love the most about it, the brilliance of this movie is the balance, because there is a lot of a lot of things that if you appreciate the Scream franchise and it's two people that just like dove back into it with the four sequels and did our final review. I don't want to say we're like this was perfect for us because we had everything fresh, but like we're fans. We enjoyed the first one and elements or parts of the other three. And as a result, I'm able to appreciate the balance between the new story, the new characters, the old characters are brought back, how they're used in this story, the meta commentary and all oh my God, the humor. There's a there's a, a sequence I'm going to talk about in a bit that might be my favorite meta thing that has happened in the Scream franchise. I'll explain later. Um, but overall, this is. There are multiple categories that would be affected for me on my final review of Scream. Maybe it won't affect where Scream's placement is, but Scream 5 is absolutely the best sequel in this franchise and one of the best horror experiences I've had in a, in a few years, Oz. Andrew, when, when, they, when it made clear what they were doing with the Stab 8 thing, mm -hmm. I, I gasped in happiness at how, at how on point and, and just wonderful it was and i don't i don't want to get into the the star wars of it all or point out that it's been proven that the majority of the negative takes about the last jedi on twitter and facebook actually come from russian bots and that <laughs> the russians used star wars as like a misinformation divisiveness tactic without getting into all that I'll get into and, and, it, let's, yeah. and let's hope that the same thing doesn't happen to scream i don't and i don't want to spoil the movie yet but i will say that there there is a very sharp commentary on what should happen to these sort of toxic fanboy sorts <laughs> that I, honestly, I, I, I was 
it was a weird audience. I think a lot of people were were maybe nervous because of Omicron or whatever. It was kind of a, a quiet crowd, except for a few people who were super into it. And I was with the group of people who were just giggling with delight during the film's climax. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, I, 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 you know what else was good about it? The kills. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. The kills are like vicious in a way that the other Scream sequels are are not. I mean, Scream 3, we talked about it on the other pod, but it's kind of a post-Columbine retcon of the series where it leans a lot more into the comedy and a lot less into the gore. Uh, Scream 4 is like, you know, fairly effective kills. The ones here are are totally, totally nasty and cruel mm-hmm. and mean. I, I think of one, you know, you get the shot in so many of these Scream movies where someone is Ghostface is trying to stab somebody and they're able to like kind of push the knife off and then roll it off. In this one, someone's up against a wall. There's a knife coming right at them. And Ghostface just like muscles up and just stabs him in the throat. And yep. I was like, wow, why doesn't that ever happen to these? That is fucking vicious and honestly kind of awesome. And it, uh, it's, oh, go ahead, go ahead, no, sorry. no, please. No, it, it it's it is it, it's how I like my slasher violence. This this was just right on. And it makes sense. And we're we're gonna do a spoiler section for this as well. It makes sense when you know where the movie's going that that would be the type of kills that you get in this movie because of what who is revealed to be the, the ghost face masks for this movie. Like their motivation is rooted in trying to make this as vicious as possible. Um, a couple other non-spoiler things. The new cast I thought was really good. Um, his name is Wes in the movie. He's the guy from 13 reasons why is what I know him from. I've only seen the first season of that because I stopped there. You're good. I want, yeah, I wanted to see why people were, talking about it on Twitter and then I found out why and kind of agree with them. Um, I like uh, um, what's it called? The the woman from uh, Melissa Barrera. There you go. Uh, the, in the she's, from, she's in the Heights. There you go. I really like her. I think she carries this movie well as our, our Sydney Prescott here. Um, the reveal of why her character is connected to the first movie I thought was balanced brilliantly enough that it's not it's not corny as to why it didn't feel unnecessary or tacked on. It felt like this was reasonable and the reveal of it didn't feel like it was cheap or, or even fan servicey. It felt like it was like a part of an overall narrative that worked for, for the overall story and the relationship we has, she has with her sister, Jenny Ortega. Um, she, I thought that was effective as well. Uh, Listen, I, I'm overall very positive about this this movie. I, I don't have much else to say before we get into spoilers. Uh, can I vamp on Jenna Ortega for Yeah, a go ahead. So I think that the work that she's doing here, that perhaps the slowest moments in the movie are, and it, it, it's a necessary light spoiler, that one of the twists of this movie is that the attacked character doesn't die. Mm-hmm. That's Jenna Ortega. So one of the big cores of this movie is her relationship with her sister played by Melissa Barrera. And I, I think they're, they're both really good selling the hell out of some pretty hokey, like long form horror movie plot bullshit. And she, there's so much emotion behind her eyes. There's so much, in some ways she reminds me of, of Michael B. Jordan, just like a, a just like a font of like, human feeling just wells out of her. I, I think mm. she's just an incredible actress and the MVP of the kids in this movie for me. And I would also say that I looked it up because I saw it, I saw it ages ago, a movie called the fallout, which is a, a 
this fucking school shooting movie, the worst yeah. genre that shouldn't exist. But it's about two girls who hide in a bathroom during a school shooting. And because of that, they form uh, they form a relationship based on that shared experience. It's incredibly good. She's the lead in it and is incredibly good. And I just realized it comes out January 27th on HBO Max. So it's coming soon. And it is a, an acting showpiece to the extent that you can stomach watching one of those. You've, uh, you've teased that to me before. It's on my watch list for when it eventually comes out. I, I, not, I'm, not that I'm endorsing the school shooter movie, but I... Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you to enjoy it. You probably won't enjoy it, but you will, you will almost certainly be moved by it and particularly by her work in it. But all the kids are good. Jack Quaid is like a perfect fit his like snarky vibe is is unbelievable here i'm just i i'm i'm all in on the young cast of this movie i will wait you know, we gotta get into spoilers because my thoughts on jack spoilers let's go spoilers okay, so ready on count of three we're gonna take a break and then when we come back you'll elevator music and we will be in the spoiler section ready one two three we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay. Spoilers for Scream 5. Do we? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I... Listen, the Star Wars of it all, The Force Awakens, the fact that David Arquette came back to this franchise to get Han Soloed was a moment. And the way that they do it, too, I actually thought was 
moving in a way. Like as it's happening, I was like, no, Dewey. And as Ghostface goes, it's an honor. I felt it. And look, I don't know how to talk about Courtney Cox's performance without just mentioning that she looks different than she did in the first movie. I will be as polite and generous as possible as just to say that, but even her slow motion emoting about Dewey dying, I was like, Oh, this is still working for me. I, I, I gotta say I was, I was affected by a death of a character that I didn't have too much of an emotional uh, weight to, but I will say like, like his death being impactful and, and like a moment in this movie for what it is, the fact that they actually addressed that he hasn't died yet. And like, he has a limp cause he's been stabbed nine times and shot a bunch of times and still somehow survives in these movies. And they actually kill him off in this was not something I was prepared for, but I thought really worked. I have, I have three thoughts on Dewey's death. The, the first it. is that uh, the Bettinelli open and Gillett combo are really smart about their film history. They are clearly versed in tropes and the ways that tropes work on an audience, whether an audience is conscious of it or not. So as soon as I saw Dewey in his trailer, I was like, fuck, he is going to die. This mm. is the this is the coming back for one last day sort of thing that's in so many Westerns and then brought over to police procedurals as a trope. I knew immediately. And then when they start hammering home the the Star Wars of it all, it was even clearer that this is your your Obi-Wan Kenobi, your Han Solo, et cetera, that's that's has to eat it. So I spent the entire movie kind of bummed about the notion that that, that was coming inevitably. I thought the scene between him and Courtney Cox was really interesting in that I don't think it happened in this movie. It felt like it was happening in a, 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 a reality show or something like that. And it was this <laughs> it's like a meta upon meta element that it seemed like they were fighting out their real marriage. It, the, the Is that what happened? Is that what happened? So I, like I don't. I don't explain, think that's explain real quick what happened to it. What ha what do they say in the movie as to why they broke up? So in the movie, there's there's a whole you know who they 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 say that it's because our cat was meant to be back in in Scream Death Town whatever it's called Woodboro Woodboro yeah and uh, and she's meant to be in the big city and they never talked about it and that caused all this tension but it seemed to me that the the tone and tenor of the fight of you know who tells who what when and who's doing things they're not supposed to when uh, sure seemed to me to echo in a very real conversation between the two of them and it felt like a sort of once again meta thing of look th this is an actress who was once credited as courtney cox arquette in a scream movie and is no longer credited as courtney cox arquette and is savvy enough to know that the audience knows that so when they have it out a little bit it to me scratched a weird like why we watch documentaries about celebrities mm -hmm. kind of place of seeing these two people kind of working through some real life stuff brought back together by the circumstance of this film. And finally, I think that Arquette is, is good in this movie. I, I think he's, it, it might be, if we went, you know, we'll talk about what lists change. I think it might be the single best performance in the entire franchise. I, I found myself actually kind of moved by his work here. And it's, it's becoming increasingly clear to me that like, old man mentor that I have a pre-existing relationship with <laughs> on the verge of death and like ruined and stuff is something that I'm just a sap for. Like give me my fucking old man, Rocky Balboa 
and I'm I'm all in. Give me my fucking old man living on a rock island, Luke Skywalker, and I'm I'm all in. <laughs> but uh, and look, maybe it is just maybe they are just playing the the requill hits and flogging my existing emotional connection. Cared. I cared about Dewey. I I cared when he died. I felt like a pang of you fucking dumbass when he puts the smiley face on the text message to Courtney mm. Cox. Like that. That gave me an emotional response. Like what the fuck? Like great job by him. And I think he just he just fit in so seamlessly in the kind of mentor role to the younger generation. And I like the way that they prod him as to if he could be the killer. And all. I just I really. I think that much as Harrison Ford does it in Force Awakens, which is the obvious of a great many examples of this, I just think it's a a real perfect way to deploy one of these uh, legacy characters. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't say Old Man Logan as a potential character that is is what you were saying. Um, Yeah, I I, I, we agree on on how Dewey was used, how... The old legacy characters are used. The Skeet Ulrich showing up as uh, Sam's Sam uh, Sam's father because Tara has a different father. Um, I'll quibble you there. Okay, what's up? That's the one thing I don't. That, that was the single element of the movie I thought was least effective. The, oh, I didn't think it was. I thought it was bringing it back because it only goes back to her three times that he shows up, and I think like I saw this movie a couple hours ago, and it was almost as if I was just stunned to see. Skeet Ulrich in so I was like oh he's back okay I I guess this is a thing and it leads to the eventual like why she's able to flip out and I don't know I don't know if like I want her to like channel her inner serial killer as to why she's able to fight off bad guys or be you know strong woman in the end but I don't know it worked a little bit better for me I guess I appreciate the fan service you know, force ghost of it all to, to pull it back to our star, our constant star Wars dialogue. This movie is inspiring. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think it was effective. The series itself has never deployed any magic realism before. And I thought it was just a really odd artistic choice, especially for a movie that, that isn't a locked perspective film. It's, this is not exclusively, and her name is wink, wink horror fans, Sam Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, Carpenter's in it. Wes is Nate. uh, The, the um, Dylan Minnette character is uh, named Wes Hicks. So there's your hit, your nod to Wes Craven. But it, it's it's not as though we're locked to this character's perspective. We move to the legacy characters. We move to Jenna Ortega. We move to Wes, as you just said. We we jump around a lot, and it's just a strange structural choice for this one person to have visions when we're in her perspective. And it seems like they're they're teasing or playing with or not sure what to do with the idea that she may think she is the killer at some points and has like memory lapses. It feels like one of those things that's in there. Cause like Skeet Ulrich was like, fuck yeah, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And they said, sure, we'll use you. And they were still like sorting out what the final screenplay was going to look like and what role that thing was supposed to play. And then we're sort of stuck with this to my mind, kind of half-assed version of it. But look, I, I, this is not, this is a, you know, we're, 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 this is like, my favorite horror movie of, of 2022 is going to be Scream 5 unless something great happens. So I, I, I'm I'm quibbling over something I probably won't give a shit about when not looking at it with a critical view. So just a little bit of why I guess it worked a little bit more for me is because like think back to our Halloween pod and how 
this theme throughout the Halloween franchise for better or for worse. But like what works a little bit more is that in these smaller towns, everybody's connected. And while, you know, Woodsboro seems to be like California. So I don't even think it's necessarily supposed to be, although this film shot in North Carolina. So maybe they are actually teasing that it's North Carolina that this is happening in Um, point being like the fact that everybody's all connected because it's not just that Skeet Ulrich's kid is in this movie. Randy's kids are in this movie and our nephew, our nephew and niece are in this movie. So they bring back Randy's sister for a cameo. Um, the sheriff from Scream 4, her kid is in this movie. Then they're both killed off in this movie. There are connections to prior uh, legacy characters all throughout the movie and I, I guess it just works better overall in the sense of like in horror movies, all of these characters are always connected. And it's why I guess that specific plot point, it made sense as a tension building and a, a, a wedge building element or device to, you know, give Melissa Barrero and or Sam and Tara a reason to have to overcome something, I guess. Because like, look, I find out that my dad is a serial killer at 16 and I go and yell at my mom about it. And then my dad, who I thought was my dad, the entire time is right behind me. And it split up my parents and my family. Yeah, that would probably fuck me up for the rest of my life for at least the next eight years as this movie lays out, you know? I Look, I agree with all that. I just think you could do it all without having Ghost Skate Ulrich show up in the so passenger seat. So it's literally seat. just him showing yeah, it's the, up. It's, 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 the, it's the okay. weird integration of magic realism, not the plot beat. I'm I'm fine with her being Billy Loomis's illegitimate bastard child. Mm-hmm. I just like that it means Matthew Lillard can have a bastard child in Scream 6. Wait for it. Oh, no. Matthew Lillard's house. Yep. They go to his house at the end. I was like, oh, this is a, this is a great tie-in. I love it. Um, the reveal at the end that... Um, we haven't talked a lot about him today, but the Jack Quaid, uh, famous for his role in The Boys on Amazon, a show that I've only seen episode one, and I keep being like, I'm going to oh, eventually watch this. It's really good. I'm, it's really, I'm, I'm all in. It's so good. I enjoyed episode one, and I have not had the time. You know how very limited my time can be. And it's like, eventually I will watch it, and that's probably a lie. Um, the fact that it's revealed that he is one of the ghost face killers and then mickey madison uh amber freeman in the movie uh is the other killer and it's once again two people they are the toxic fan boy and girl of the stab franchise that are did not like what ryan johnson did to met on reddit (laughs) that was the best element of that um he's also watching like Throughout, he's watching those YouTube breakdowns. Uh, James A. Janice, who does uh, Dead Meat, this kill count series for a YouTube channel. Like, look, I don't know if you you went as far as to be like, this is what should happen to those people. I think this was more of like, this is the director's reaction to what happened to Ryan Johnson. And anytime a little bit of change or a different direction or different perspective is brought into a beloved property how much the hardcore fan like how they make the lives miserable and try to ruin the creative process of the directors that get involved and try to introduce something new and something fresh and it's more of like this is how you look to me you look like a psychotic serial killer because you need things a certain way and while it's great and we've teased throughout the movie and we've like 
given a different things that are like can satisfy fan service. There is a, a need to be reminded to all of you how crazy you look when you're on Twitter debating certain things. You know, here here's why I think their thesis is is darker than that. Okay, about what and I'm not I'm not saying that they're literally advocating for the murder of shitty fans, though I would understand why they were if that was their position. <laughs> okay. I want you to think of the, the recent Quentin Tarantino movies, particularly Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which both end with the most vicious kills in both movies are directed at the Manson family and fucking Hitler. So mm. I, I, conveniently in, left out Django, I see. Uh, yes. Well, in this movie. Well, sure. Django's another one. I was going to say Django's another, Django's one, another yeah. one. Yeah, it, it fits. It fits the mold perfectly. But this one where we're left at the end is the single character who has the worst death, who is the most brutally killed, who is stabbed like 57 times and then shot like three more times after that is the Jack Quaid character. He has the single most violent, single most over the top, single most vicious death in the entire series killed by a heroic character who is then praised for the kill by the surviving legacy characters. It, it, it's really clear that it is seen as a good thing in the world of Scream that this person just took the most vicious kill that the series has ever has ever deigned to put on screen. So in the same spirit, I will agree with you that that is, that is an excellent point. I will just argue that Mickey Madison getting burned alive with hand sanitizer on her face is worse, which... <laughs> Perfect. That, that Perfect. I'm just saying, I agree with you. I think that was worse. That's double, no, we're, we're double dipping. On we're the double two, dipping. That's the two, the two worst kills. kills. Um, by the way, you, bringing up Quentin Tarantino, Mickey Madison, Mickey Madison's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How does her, how does she beat her fate at the end? She's burned alive by Leonardo DiCaprio. I wonder if this is now going to be a thing she signs. Her, she talked to her agent. The next movie, I can't have my character end with me getting burned alive. You know, a lot of these characters don't have huge resumes to go on, but it seems mm. like every single one of them had a meta element to their casting. We haven't mentioned Jasmine Savoy Brown, who's kind of the the horror nerd expert in this one, or one of the horror nerd experts. Her her filmography is a movie where or her most relevant role is a movie where she is a serial killer who designs musical instruments out of the bodies of her victims. So it makes sense that that's the person that you would cast as one of your horror experts here. And it just seems like the, the, and I, I think meta casting is good and shortcut casting makes sense in movies with, with lots and lots of characters in them that you have to introduce quickly. And I, I think it, it is, uh, it's effectively deployed here to the extent that viewers come in, especially horror fan viewers come in with an existing relationship to some of these actors that it's, it's paid off in an effective way. So I want to talk about one, one element and it's the score of this movie real quick, because I thought in a lot of the, the beats of emotion, they were effective when you see the camera pan behind Sydney for the first time. And then she turns around when you see the camera pan behind um, Gail Weathers, when she gets out the car for the first time and then turns around the Dewey death and then the entire reveal at the end, the, the music complements the movie very well. And then there's a scene where Wes Hicks, the, the, the son that eventually gets killed um, is uh in the kitchen he or it's honestly from the moment he gets out of the shower until his eventual death and the music 
is doing that thing that all of the bad horror movies do. And it's getting really loud, really loud, really loud. And he stops. And then he closes a refrigerator door and nothing happens. And then he, the music swells up again. It gets really, really loud, really loud. And then it stops. And then he closes a cupboard and there's nobody there. And then you're expecting, because this is like one of those movies where Ghostface just kind of shows up out of nowhere to uh, like, eventually Ghostface is going to be there. And I thought that was a brilliant job yeah. by by Gillett and Open to be like, yeah, we know this is how all bad horror movies do things where they let all the tension be with um, the score. And it's not actually scary. It's just a loud noise. And it's the worst kind of horror that exists. If someone like rocks, runs into your room right now with a blowhorn, you're going to jump. Like, it's going to scare you. It's not scary, though. And it's why I, I, I appreciated that that meta joke so much that they used the score to just point at every single bad horror movie that I've seen over the last 10 years and be like, yeah, do better, be better. Because if we can make fun of you, you can then find other ways to scare people other than just raise the volume at a specific moment. I really appreciated that part. I liked when they take a little nasty jab at Mark Irwin, the as I learned on final review, the fired mm -hmm. cinematographer of the first one, when there's a comment about, Oh, that first one where, where the lighting was all off in the internals. Yes. Or whatever it is she said. <laughs> I was like, Oh, now I know what that means. There you go. But the, the, the Easter eggs are off the charts in this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll, I'll catch more in the future, but, but to see the watching the scream episode of Dawson's Creek, which is created by the same guy who wrote yep. the first, the first two scream movies and the fourth one as well, I believe that is, that's so good. It's such a funny, little thing for fucking nerds like me to pick up on. I also loved how it dunks on like masturbatory prestige horror. And I love prestige horror. Give me the, give me hereditary all day, every day. Mm -hmm. I think you just called that your greatest horror movie ever made. It's the scariest horror movie ever there, made. Yes. There we go. Uh, and look, <laughs> we deserve to be dunked on a little bit. We're, we're, There's we're my quibble. Okay. We're There's fancying my seeing up this uh, slasher bullshit. into something pretentious. Have you seen the trailer for X? I have it's, it played before Scream. Yeah. So X, it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, only like masturbatory art house movie. And obviously, mm -hmm. I'm going to see this thing opening night. It's going to be something very important to my month of March. But come on, like, do we really need to do the the Baba Duke version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre? We're getting a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre next month anyway. Like, let's let's let Leatherface murder viciously with no artistic intent. I I love that I'm, I'm taking the common man position here. Yeah, I yeah. am dunking on <laughs> the, the prestige horror. Suck it, um, A24. <laughs> well, okay. When it comes to the witch, I'm, I agree. Um, I get out's brilliant, so I don't care if they, they're dunking on me for that. I'll just, I'll take, I'll I'll be in the poster as you're dunking. I, I will still stand that, that, uh, that get out's brilliant. I do think, look, this is clearly written by people and they're, directed with 2022 in mind and like the way that uh jenny jenna ortega's character doesn't answer the landline because we don't answer landlines if we don't know who the number is anymore we don't really answer landlines anymore i don't have one and when my cell phone if i see like a number with an area code i don't know it's like all right if it's important you'll leave me a message uh yeah i i appreciated that detail like the the way that she's contacted um by uh by the first in the opening scene by ghostface via text which is like how ghostface in 2022 would do things 
And it really plays out like it's a movie set in this year by people who consulted people who interact in with kids this year, you know? So yeah, I, I don't really have much more. We went through all the Easter eggs, the, the, Oh, one thing about Dewey's character is that you see his sister, Rose McGowan's character, Tatum, you see her ashes and it's like never addressed like why he's not mourning his sister more in the three sequels. And in this movie, like his sister's ashes are right under a picture of him and Gail. So you, you actually see like there's some grief going on in this guy and the toll that the, the, the life and career that he chose has taken has clearly had an effect on him. Um, yeah, I agree with you about Arquette. This is, this is a really good performance by him as well. Look, this, this, I, I don't know if this is the sort of movie that's going to be in my top 10 list at the end of 2022, but I just, I, I, and maybe it's my general feeling of depression that I'm worried that movies are going to stop opening in theaters again. And we're just going to go another six weeks without any theatrical movies. But man, this, this was just such a yeah. joy. It was just, and it was whatever, 110 minutes of me having a dumb smile on my face underneath my stupid N95, like just, just delighted to be alive, delighted to be in a movie theater. I, I just, I, I love experiences like this. And I, I always, I, I like to think that there are like four ways that you can look at a movie. You can look at sort of like the craft and the direction. You can look at the acting and the performers and you can look at like the story and the writing and hopefully you get all three of those together. But there's a fourth kind of intangible magic of going to the movies, like why you fell in love with going to the movies in the first place. And as much as I love all my criteria and stuff, those frequently hit me on the other three levels and don't hit me on the God damn, this is fun. I love mm -hmm. going to the movies. And this hit me in such a, I fucking love the movies place. I, 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 I'm, I'm stunned by how much I liked it. I didn't expect this going in, but it is, it is a damn, damn fine time at the movies. So as we wrap up, as, as of right now, your number on letterbox is what? I hate numbers. I'm gonna I know you do. It, You're I'm going to give it a box. I'm going to give it a nine. We have the same number then. I'm also at a nine out of 10. Um, yeah, I, even if I was getting dunked on, I wasn't made to be looked at as like a toxic fanboy that needs to be either burned alive or stabbed so many times to death. It was just like, hey, chill. We made a scary movie that has more commentary in it. Fine. I agree with you. I also think that those movies are better. Anyway, um, what would this change about your final review rankings of Scream? Well, it's not going to impact my Wes Craven because that no. For obvious reasons. Uh, nice I, nod it, at the end, though. The four West in the credits was was nice. It is going to impact my my triumvirate ranking because I'm calling Arquette and Scream 5 the best performance that any of Courtney Cox, Nev Campbell, and David Arquette have given. So this is now number one? This is now number one. Scream okay. Is, wow. <laughs> Scream is... Arquette is, a, is my new champion of the franchise. And uh, yeah, we're, we're losing a point for Scream there because Scream had been my number one for... Um, for Nev Campbell. So you're down to a 25 now. I'll put this right under Scream. I'll put this ahead of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, or <laughs> uh, Trouble with the Curve across the board for, for the for the cast of Scream 1. Um, and yeah, I'll do the same thing for, for David Arquette for uh, his performance in this movie. Um, I you know, think meta, meta movies, I'll, I'll consider it as an audible mention now. I, I'm going to, put it i'm not going to put it on slasher but i am thinking about it 
I'm going to put it on my meta movies list. I hit Stranger Than Fiction fifth on my meta movies list, and I'm now going to have Scream in fourth and Scream five in fifth on my meta movies list. So then the most important question as we wrap up, let's rank the franchise. So five to one. Let's go bottom, bottom to the top, bottom to the top. So Scream three is worst. Yes. Next is Scream two. Two. Next is Scream Four. four. I agree. Now two and one. I'm curious. Five is second place, and the original okay. keeps keeps the top spot for now. I agree. For now is also a, a very important qualifier because this might yeah, age really well. We're 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 you know fre- both of us are like fresh in the afterglow of this. I will say I've gone back and rewatched Ready or Not, and it aged stupendously. It, it's not just the twist and like how it ends. The ending of Ready or Not is like the best ending in the history of horror movies. So many horror movies end poorly. That is the best ending maybe in all of horror. But uh, it aged wonderfully, which gives me a lot of hope that this one is going to age wonderfully. And I think that there's a lot of actors in this that we're going to want to buy stock in their careers. And we're going to look back and be like, oh, wow, all these people were in that movie at once. And that would really not surprise me, especially Ortega, Barrera, and Quaid, I think are real, real champions going forward. Is Quaid any relation to the he's Randy? The, he's the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg he's Ryan. Dennis Quaid's son. Well, and man, Meg Ryan's son. He looks, I, he that looks, makes that he so looks like such a way. combo of them. Yeah. Yeah. You could see call. it so many times, like through the jaw and stuff. He, yeah. Oh, I, oh I, yeah. I, I think he's really, I think he's, he's really talented and very, very funny. I think he's going to have a nice long career too. So Scream 5 or Scream 2022 is playing nationwide in theaters everywhere. Um, be responsible and go see it. I'm going at this point, I'm going to assume you have seen it, which is why you made it to the spoiler section of this pod. Uh, Oz, what would you like to plug before you get out of here? Come to the invention of and read the stuff that we're doing there. We we're uh, we've started some video content and interviews and things like that are, are, are beginning to come up online and uh, yeah. Uh, go, go see, I would go say that you should, I would say that you should go see some, you know, independent art house movies. <laughs> they're just, I, unless you're in Manhattan or Los Angeles, there just aren't any, all you could do is go see Spider-Man or the re-release of Venom. Let there be carnage yeah! or shit like that. And then there's just no <laughs> movies for the next like three weeks. And then maybe the, maybe Moonfall will come out or maybe it won't, or maybe Jackass will come out or maybe it won't, who knows. Uh, but hopefully in February we get movies again. So I guess see see Scream if you get to a theater. Go, go, go we'll, see we'll go see Scream, even though it's uh, another man. fucking IP movie. Go see Scream. It's good. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. We dig that you guys dig us, and if you really dig us, head over to iTunes to drop a five star rating and a review. Brand new final review on a pretty important movie coming out later this week which we'll announce tomorrow but until i guess when you're hearing this later today but until next time thank you for listening and tune in for another final review
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.